thousands of people have been our data set this year that we've been talking to and analyzing and understanding what's happening. So there's so much research and evidence here. Transparently, I've never seen a market like we're in today. I hope this gives you some good insights and good ideas to solve for the current difficult hiring market. Don't conduct your analysis in isolation because data is so incredibly powerful. Not defending just the tribe, but defending the organization. Those creative people that you really want to keep empowered, keep excited, keep motivated, keep thinking. A good experience pays dividends down the line. Stereotypes tend to break down in proximity. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast about human resources, business, technology, and the workplace. My name is Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey everyone, it's Ben Eubanks. I hope that you're doing well. You know what? Uh, I've gotten a couple of requests in the last couple of weeks from HR and talent leaders who are looking at the current hiring market and they're looking for advice. They're looking for tips and suggestions and they, they want some help. And so I actually went through and looked at our research notes from the last year on what we've heard from employers, strategies they're using, solutions, tools, suggestions, all those things. So I have a list of about 20 different ideas for you to think through and look at as potential ways to help you with the current difficult hiring market. I'm going to go through each of these. This will be a solo episode. I know those are kind of rare. We're going to go through each of these, though. I'm going to give you some ideas and some suggestions on them, maybe some resources point you in those directions as we're thinking through this because they're, transparently, I've never seen a market like we're in today. And when I was recruiting, I thought things were difficult at times because the talent pools were small. And today, it's, it's an entirely different ballgame. And as I'll share when, in some of the stories as we go through, it's not only difficult because it's hard to find talent, but also because recruiting talent is also difficult to find right now. It's scarce. Companies are, with the funds, with the cash, are scooping them up for more money than the average company can pay. So that will play a role in this too. I'll get to that in a little bit about how to keep those recruiters on your team and how to support them. All right, so all that said, I'm gonna dive into this list. Again, it's about 20 different items here. I'll try to make sure and list the resources in the show notes for this episode so you can check that out. And you can always find the podcast archives. You can subscribe, you can do all those things at lhra.io slash podcast. So lhra.io slash podcast for Lighthouse Research and Advisory. Okay, enough said. Let's dive in. Number one, the thing that we've seen consistently and had a chance earlier this year to speak to a group of construction leaders who are trying to hire right now, and they were all talking about the challenges. One of the big things that came out was it's really important to have a simple and easy apply process. Yes, you should ask for more than their name and their email and their resume, but it should not be a 25-minute process that requires you to get onto a desktop computer in order to complete this. It should be mobile-friendly. It should be short. It should be sweet and specific. The research shows that a significant portion, the majority, depending on the job role, the majority of traffic for some roles comes to your website, looks at your jobs on a mobile device. And if your recommendation to them or your requirement for them is they have to go to a computer to complete that, some people, number one, don't have one. They don't even have one at their home. And if you make it more difficult, you add barriers, you add hurdles in there, there's a higher degree of friction. And we all know it's really easy to click that add to cart button and one-click checkouts and things like that on some of our favorite shopping sites. The 
Then we go over to apply for a job and it takes us 20 minutes and we have to create a password and we have to add this thing. And I just uploaded my resume, but I have to retype all those things in. And you start to see why it's so difficult, why people just bail on that process. The numbers vary, but a significant number of people who show up there that start applying for a job end up leaving because it's difficult. So keep it short and sweet and simple. Easy apply, mobile friendly. That is a critical piece of that. Number two, employee referrals. In the past, one of the tools that I used to help with that, because when you say you send the email out to everyone in your organization, hey, we're looking for referrals, who do you recommend? That's too broad, too blanket, and usually doesn't get much of a response. The people who are likely to read that and respond back are the ones that have done this in the past, have already referred in the past, or are constantly telling you, hey, I know someone who'd be good for this. Those people are a great source of referrals and targeted requests. One of the ways that I approach that in the past, though, because people are sometimes not sure how to ask a friend or how to share that with someone or who to even think of. Right? If I said, hey, do you have a referral? They might kind of go blank. So one of the ways I overcame that in the past was to ask them, who's the best X? Who's the best software engineer you've worked with? Who's the best accounting professional you've worked with? And using that helps them to narrow it down in their mind and say, oh, man, I need to tell you about Amelia. She was so great, and here's what was good about her. They just start telling you. They don't discount like, well, Amelia's done a job she likes or she's working over there at the, at the competition. or They don't think through those kinds of negative or, or uh, <laughs> backward steps. It, they just tell you that story. Today, it might be something more broad. Who's the best person you've ever worked with? Or what was the best team you've ever worked on? Who were those people? And use that to try to generate some names, some opportunities to reach out. Number three on our list is boomerang employees. So if you're not familiar with the term, it's just throw a boomerang, it comes back. These are employees who have left your organization on good terms in the past. You're going to reach back out to them and say, hey, you worked with us. It was a good experience. If you're interested in coming back, here's the kind of things we have available now. Or here's the things that have happened since you were gone. We'd love to, we'd love to have you rejoin us. The good thing about a boomerang employee is it's cheaper, it's faster, typically, to get them onboarded and up to speed because they already know your processes if it's been a short time since they left or they know the culture, they know the leadership, they know those kinds of things that are sometimes hard for someone to get their head, their head wrapped around, especially if they're a new employee. In today's remote environment for some companies, if you are hiring someone back and it is in a remote capacity, you don't have that, that worry that, oh, they're not going to know how we do things because those boomerang employees already do know those things. So it's a chance. One thing that I used to do is actually I would touch base with our people who left to go to a quote-unquote better job or a higher-paying job or the big-name company. I had a – once they left, I put a thing on my calendar to circle back with them three months later and six months later and a year later just to say, hey, how are things going? I'd love to hear about what's working. Um, is it what you thought it would be? Those kinds of questions. Not saying, hey, how bad are they? Because I knew in some cases they were going to a big company that didn't care about them. And that was one of the advantages we had as a mid-sized organization is I knew their name. I knew their spouse's name. I knew their kids' names. I knew they were, where they went to school. And so those boomerang employees can be a great, great resource there. Number four on our list is internal hiring. Employee mobility, moving them around. I've got, again, I'm going to go through a, a ton of things in this list, but the first couple here, I'm thinking, like, how do we use the people who are already here, already within reach? One of, the, one of the leaders I followed for years says, gather a bouquet of flowers from those within reach. Don't go across the field looking for the right ones. Grab those that are right here nearby. 
And this is the same case here. Let's look at the people we have already as a source of referrals, as a source of we have them at once, let's bring them back as boomerangs, or let's use the people we have and develop and grow them up into new roles. I want to touch on this one a little bit later too as well because this fits into another part of this bigger conversation. However, look at who you have, look at what they can do, and coach and train and drill into your managers. They need to be asking the question, what do you want to do? How can I help you? What do you want to be next? What are your career goals? Asking those open-ended questions, not are you happy in your role, because that's a yes or no. Don't ask someone something that's a yes or no question from a manager perspective if we're talking about this mobility stuff. If you want them to encourage that, and your managers have to be on board with this, but they also need to understand that if we don't cast a vision for what the future looks like at our organization, the recruiter from the competition down the street that calls that employee of yours and starts casting the vision of what that future could look like at their company, they're going to see that very clearly because you haven't put the seeds there already. You haven't helped them to see that picture. So there's all kinds of ways to do this. Years ago, Chipotle made a decision that they would never hire a store manager from you know, a McDonald's or from a Taco Bell or from someone else because the managers turned over more frequently. So they actually started looking at, we're going to move people up in the business, move them into those roles. And they actually began to pay a bonus to leaders who coached and mentored and developed someone to take on a new leadership role. So there was some incentive there as well. So internal hiring, I could go on for a long time about that. We have a lot of research on it. I've spoken about the topic many times. I have lots of great case studies. I'll make sure and link in the show notes an episode number four where I actually cover some stories. I'll link to that podcast episode where I shared some examples of that to help you understand and, and see how that can look beyond just that, that, that story I told. Number five, know the pay. If you make a offer to someone, you make an offer and it's based on the pay rate that you set last year or two years ago or three years ago or heaven forbid five years ago or something even farther back, you are going to be sorely disappointed and that candidate may be offended, honestly. Salary inflation is a real thing. Just like in the housing market across the United States, at least in the last year, houses are, you know, everyone is, is going for houses. There are more people that want a home than there are homes available. And so the price shoots up. It's simple economics. The same thing is true here. There are not enough people going around. Participation rate in the labor force is, is below what it should be or what we expect it to be. And so all these different factors that, that fit into that, it's a big discussion there, mean that there are more jobs that we're trying to fill than there are people available to fill them. Pay inflation, salary inflation is a real thing. So know the pay. If you don't have good salary data that's up to date, there are some great partners on that. We're, at, we're about to release some new research on some of the biggest and best providers across from, from small businesses all the way up to large enterprises for compensation data and for just managing your comp process and structure and, and job levels and all those kind of things to make sure that you are doing this the right way. Number six, on a related note, expect a counteroffer. Expect that. Don't be uh, offended. Don't be you know upset. Don't be surprised. Expect the counteroffer. When you're talking about the offer you're going to put, this, put on this person, say with the hiring manager, say, and if they come back and say they've got a different one, what, what is the highest we do? What is the maximum we could pull off? And have some conversations about that so you don't drag the process out with three or four days of negotiations after that. Know what know that you should expect a counteroffer. If you don't want to get one, be happily surprised, but expect that. 
Number seven, rethink the requirements you have on this job. I had a conversation with Jamie McCall. Hey, Jamie, she's probably listening to this. She is the town acquisition leader at HJF. They're a, they do medical research, things like that, and they're, a, they're an incredible organization. She told me that they've had some difficult roles to fill, and they actually, after they they'd kind of you know, butted heads a little bit with hiring managers, things like that, they actually dropped a requirement or two, and that led to some new candidates in the pipeline. And once the hiring manager saw them, said, hey, actually, that person can do this job, and we'll train them up on any little, little gaps they might have, but they were rethought those requirements. We used to call them, everybody calls them like purple squirrels, like it's such a unique candidate. They have this, these 87 qualities we have to have. Hiring managers have to, have to understand that the world's different today. I talked to a, a leader last week, and she told me, 10 years ago, I told people, hire the best person you can find. Forget about the whole training thing. Hire the best person you can find because the candidates were, were plentiful. You could find anybody you wanted to, and, and they'd be willing to come along because the, the jobs were more scarce. Today, the opposite is true. Hire with the intent to train someone. Hire someone with the right attitude because it's really hard. It's really hard to change that once they come in. But if you find someone with the right attitude who's willing to learn and willing to serve, you can grow them into almost anything. So thank you, Jamie, for that tip. Appreciate that. Number eight, look at some overlooked talent pools. You might be thinking we're posting jobs. Right? Maybe you're doing some diversity-specific hiring or you're, you're focusing on some of those kinds of sources. That's a great idea. That's one of the things that employers are doing in our research to try to target and be uh, target their more diverse hiring populations. But there are other areas, too, that you can think about. For example, veterans. Veterans are a source of talent. They've been trained. They often have a have a that that go-getter attitude, um, as Pat Lencioni calls them, humble, hungry, and smart. It's one of the things you're looking for, right? And they're often hungry because they've had they've had an opportunity to do some things and they're ready to, to step into a bigger role. I have a actually have a family member who retired out of the military last year in the middle of the pandemic and was able to take a job in the private sector and has really blossomed. And it's been amazing to watch him grow and just kind of mature as he takes on this other role. It was the first job he's ever had outside the military, you know, a career for 20 or 30 years. So that was incredible to see. Those people are qualified. They have some incredible capabilities, and I'd encourage you to look at the veteran populations. There are so many great um, organizations, nonprofits, resources out there. I know SHRM has some great things. Uh, Wendy Safstrom was one of the speakers at HR Summer School this year, and she actually talked about some of the veterans' initiatives and how they're training up local ambassadors to help coach other companies on how to target veteran hiring. The last one in this little bucket here on the overlooked talent pools is fair chance hiring. And I understand if you work for a bank you can't hire someone that had um, that might have gotten a conviction for financial-related crimes. That is totally understandable, right? Or if you work with children, you can't work with certain certain kinds of things. That totally makes sense. But if someone had an issue, had a DUI seven years ago, and they're doing work in a warehouse, how is that going to stop them from performing on that job? In the past, that might have completely kicked them out of the process. You might have missed a chance to talk to them. But today, the research shows that I've seen shows that about one in three Americans, again, this sorry for those of you that are global, this is a little more US focused, but one in three Americans have something on their record. 
if that's true and you are preventing anyone with a record from pursuing a job at your company, one out of every three candidates that exist, you're telling them, no, thank you. So open that up. Be willing to consider this. Be willing to look at this. I've, I had a chance to interview Arthur Yamamoto. He's the head of talent acquisition at Checker. And they actually do a lot of work with organizations that are trying to step into fair chance hiring. And they have some tools to help you do this. So it's not just you making guesses or having to consult your attorney on that, but they have some really helpful resources to guide you along that path because that's what that company does. And one of the things that he told me that has stuck with me ever since is it's not about lowering, it's not about lowering the bar and taking someone who's less qualified. It's about lowering the barriers. You can still expect the same qualifications. You still expect the same capabilities, but it's about lowering those other barriers that are kind of artificial in this case that are preventing someone from being capable of doing that. Same with the veterans piece. There are organizations dedicated to supporting this. I did a quick search before I started recording this. I found an organization that's doing, they'll, they'll certify your company as a fair chance hiring organization. Others will help to connect with that talent. And I, I'll give you a quick preview. I have an episode coming up with an organization called Televerdi. I call them, I always call them Televerde, but Televerdi is how they pronounce it. They're based out in Arizona, I believe. And they're, one of their things they do inside the organization is they actually have call center employees. They do something I've never heard of. They actually go and partner with prisons and hire the women in those prisons to do call center work. So those are paid employees of the company. They earn a paycheck. And not only does that allow them access to talent that no one else is looking at, but from the perspective of the women who are impacted by this opportunity, who are given the opportunity to do that work, they are actually coming out after serving their sentence. They're coming out of prison with some financial resources, with some job skills that they can use to help change their lives. That's a big commitment. That's a long game play. But for them, it's been incredible. and It's been an amazing resource. And again, I'll tell their story on an upcoming episode of the podcast. We'll share an interview with their head of HR and how they make decisions and how they approach those things. So we'll get into that. But there are so many overlooked talent pools that we don't stop to consider how those fit into our bigger picture. Speaking of overlooked talent pools, number nine here, older workers. I've done a lot of work with the AARP in the last few years. Good friends over there. Heather Tinsley Fix was a speaker on our summer school event last year. They have so much evidence and so much research that shows that older workers are a great source of experience, of expertise, of knowledge, and yes, maybe they prefer more flexibility, right? They want to spend time with, with the grandkids and do some work, or they want to spend time, as a gentleman told me years ago, that he, he wanted to spend time with the grandkids and, and spend time fishing. I'll tell you that quick story because I think it fits in here because it's, it was about not losing an employee, but it would have worked as equally well on the hiring side. We had an employee who turned in his notice, his resignation, and I was like, man, the customer loves this guy. His team likes him and respects him. We liked and respected him. He didn't ever cause any issues for us and, and seemed to be doing well. So I reached out to him and said, hey, what's going on? He said, hey, I'm just tired. I want to spend time with my, my grandkids. I want to go fishing. I just want to do some hunting, just kind of take it easy. I said, are you liking the work? He said, I love the work. He said, this is so exciting because he was actually supporting the military community and he really believed in the mission of what we're doing. I said, let me get back to you in a little bit. Just hold on to this because I've got an idea. 
And I came back to him a few hours later after talking to our CEO, and he had given it the, the thumbs up. I said, hey, the customer really likes you. We don't want you to, lo to lose you in two weeks. Would you be willing to work part-time two or three days? You're, you choose the days. And in the same time as you're continuing to do this work and serve the customer and lead your team, you also are going to be training up someone to replace you on the actual job duties. And let me tell you, his name was Mac. Mac was floored by that. He said, what do you mean? I can do that? Yeah, I, of course you can. I got the approval from the CEO. He was so excited because he did. He felt like he had two, two, two bad choices. He had to do a job where he would get to do all the other stuff he wanted to, and it was getting getting hard for him. They worked a, a tough schedule, or he completely unplugged from the job and the things that he loved. He liked his team. He, those guys were his friends in addition to his employees, and he would unplug from all that and do the things that he was waiting for. But he felt like he was losing something both ways. And so this way, he didn't feel like he lost anything. And he gave us another year of his time doing that. And he was, when he came in, the guy said he was so happy. He couldn't wait to tell them, like, hey, we got to spend time with the grandkids yesterday. Took them fishing for the first time. Oh, you should have seen him trying to get the fish off the hook. Enjoyed so much that last year of work with us. And it gave us a chance to strengthen that relationship with our customers so it didn't leave this big hole when he left. So I tell that story because the, we don't always think about older workers as a source of talent. And I did an interview, one of the early interviews on the podcast with an organization that does a lot of security guard or uh, Allied Universal, do a lot of, they have a lot of security guards. One of the things they had told me then was they partner with AARP and other community organizations when they're trying to hire. So it's not just going to the same place everybody else goes to, the career center or calling up the colleges, but they said, hey, we'll actually reach out to a church or to another nonprofit in the community and ask if they have recommendations for people who might be qualified to do this. And they often were able to, to fill the talent pipeline they had with those sorts of people. Okay, catch my breath for a second. We've, we're about halfway through here. I'm going to, let's, all right, let's dive in. Let's keep on going, keep on rolling through this. So number 10, use text messages to connect during the process. Well, I've talked about all these relationships and talent pools, everything else. Now I'm going a little different direction. So use text messages. Use that as a way to connect with people. There are tools today that allow us to communicate with employees in ways that years ago we never could have. I remember about nine, ten years ago, I, I, I'm the tech nerd. So I had hacked together this tool that allowed me to email candidates when jobs were posted because back then the tools we were using didn't have that capability. So when a job was posted, it would email that out to all the candidates who were in our database and let them know about other openings we had at the company. Thankfully, the tools today are smarter than that. They can allow you to text with candidates either with, with automated systems that allow you to do some light screening of them, ask them some basic questions. What shift do you want to work? How many years experience do you have? What pay would you expect? What... Um, where, where are you located in terms of geography so we know which, which jobs to serve you up? Right? There are automated tools that can do those kinds of things. However, there are other tools that allow your recruiting team just to interact with them or to jump in over that bot that's interacting with them and jump in over it and just take over the conversation once you see, oh, wait a minute, this person's highly qualified. They're a very warm lead. Let's, let's fast-track this process, get them screened, and get them, hopefully, an offer. So using that allows you to respond more quickly to people, if you're, if you're using email only, you're missing a chance to connect with some candidates because some still, still don't have or don't pay attention to their email. Research shows that people are much, much more likely 
to respond, to open a text message number one and to respond to a text message number two compared to an email or even a phone call. Text is quick, it's easy. And if they're, they have a really rough day at work and their boss is being a jerk and they're not gonna wanna answer the phone, but if they can text back and forth and get that taken care of, they can apply for your job without having to ever you know, log into a computer or, or even take a call from a recruiter. So that allows you to do that, to do that quickly. I highly, highly encourage you to take a look at some of the text tools to allow you to communicate with your candidates. Number 11, look at why people are rejecting your offers. In the past, it might not have been as common for you to get a rejection on an offer, but today you probably have seen some of those. Track that information. Are they saying no when you tell them it's an on-site job and they want to be more flexible or hybrid? Are they rejecting the job when you tell them that the pay rate is? Are they rejecting the job when you tell them your expectations on their working schedule, right? Whatever it is, keep track of those things that people are telling you no for. Those rejections become a source of information. Just like an exit interview would tell you why someone left, these are telling you why someone left the offer or the hiring process. I talked to a company last week that said, every time we're looking at this process, every time someone brings up, well, we expect you to be on-site and not remote, or you're remote now, but we expect you on-site next year, that's when people are bailing from the process. So they said, we've got, we've got to figure this out because some of these jobs actually don't have to be in person. We want them to be, we'd like them to be, but we've got to find a way to, to balance those things out. One of my good friends is a CFO for a hospital. And a nurse, there are probably there are some nursing jobs that are that can be virtual or remote, right? telemedicine, things like that. But the majority of them have to be on-site, hands-on, serving a patient. But he's a CFO. He's been remote for over a year. So think about which roles that's truly a requirement for and which ones can be more flexible and think about flexibility through that lens. If a candidate asks for flexibility, here's a little sidebar on that. If they ask for flexibility, ask them what they mean. Don't assume you know what they mean when they say, I want a job more that's more flexible. Because they might just say, I want to be able to take off every other Friday to go have lunch with my kid while they're back in school. Or I want whatever it is. The example of Mac earlier, flexibility. Think about, don't assume you know what they mean when they say that, when they say, well, that's not going to work for me. Dig into it because once you have that information, it can help you to figure out what decision to make, what to elevate to your leadership team. And say, hey, I know. I totally understand that you want people all back in the office. But in the last week, of the 12 candidates we've, we've talked to in the final offers stage, seven of them bailed on us. Or seven of them dropped out of the hiring process because we told them they had to be here. That's more than half our candidates are leaving because of that. So look for those things to help you not just understand what's going on, but also elevate that story to your own leadership. Number 12, protect your recruiters. Hmm, what? Really? Yes. So I had a call last week with these recruiting, recruitment outsourcing providers. Um, I've been supporting the RPO Association. They're doing great work. And so if you ever need an RPO, like they're, they're your place to go to, for information to connect in. They have membership options for employers that also want to influence how RPO is shaped. But anyway, sidebar. Look at your recruiting staff. These people, these individuals, the talents they have 
right now are at a premium. I've already put that, told you that earlier. I talked to one of those people last week, said their, one of their recruiters was making high five figures, almost six figures, got a job offer from a tech company, total comp of over $200,000 a year to go and be a recruiter, a technical recruiter. You have to protect your recruiters. They're getting, they're getting poached. They're getting stolen away. They're getting hired away, whatever you, however you want to put that. They're getting targeted because of that skill they have. There's a phenomenal book that was written years ago by Gay Hendricks. The book is called The Big Leap. And one of the things that he talks about in there is that we all have these zones that we work in. Zone of incompetence, things that are not very, you're not very good at, all the way to a zone of genius. The things that you do that are, you're really great at that others can't easily replicate. Right? That those things that you're better than most other people at. Recruiters, we're not hiring them because we want them to be great at sending emails all day right? or um, doing project status meetings. Those things are part of their job because they have to be in many cases. But the thing we're paying them for, the specific skill we're paying them for, is to source and screen and connect with talent. And so if there's a way for us to keep them from doing those other things, protect them, shield them from some of the other stuff that's drawing them away from that, so much the better. I know a lot of hiring managers right now are getting kind of getting uh, upset, to put it mildly, because they can't find the candidates that they need, and they're, they're probably getting a little frustrated about that. Can you protect or shield your recruiters from some of those frustrations? If they're doing the good work, if they truly are working hard and it's just a symptom of the bigger issue in the talent market that we're in right now, how can you protect them? Maybe you need a project manager on the recruiting team to help be the interface for communications, to make sure that all the right comms are going out on the candidate side or on the hiring manager side, keep people in the loop without that recruiter having to disengage from that really important task they're doing of sourcing talent and have to turn around and tell everybody, well, here's all the things that I've done today, and then go back and plug back in. Look for ways to protect them. It could be that you spend time with them from a leadership perspective. Hey, what do you need from us? How can we support you? What tools do you need? What, you know, do you need a little bit of, uh, you know, do you need to take Friday off? Like, what, what can we do for you? Because it's a high, high pace, high challenge right now. And that's the market, just like we're talking about broad, more broadly with our people leaving the organizations and losing the talent we have, losing one of, the, one of our, your recruiters is a much, much bigger deal because they're the ones that are in charge of trying to keep you afloat in this really tough place right, right now. Number 13, think about the benefits you're offering. Go beyond the healthcare stuff, right? We all expect you know, medical and dental and, and those kind of things, but look for other things you can do. I talked to a CHRO last week that said one of the things they've, they've seen be helpful for some of their populations they're trying to serve are fertility benefits, wellness and well-being, mental health. He's using those as a, as a lever to start conversations and connect with candidates the things that they need and they want from them. What about childcare? Last year, I had a chance to interview Danielle Bowie. She's an HR business partner, HR leader for um, an organization up in the northeastern U.S. And they actually had partnered with Bright Horizons to do this child care support for some of their medical research staff. These people had to work. She said it's a strange, strange place because a lot of husband and wives are actually working there. A lot of, a lot of spouses are working there together. And so there's... To, to have one of them there means the other one's got to be gone. Got to be gone, and 
it was difficult to balance those things out. So they asked him, what do you need from us? How can we help? Because this is so hard and we're trying to do this critical medical research right now. And they said, hey, we just need childcare help. So they actually set up a dedicated childcare just for the employees of that organization with a partner. Right? It wasn't about the company just doing it all. They said, hey, Bright Horizons, help us out. And so they came in and supported them setting up this childcare center for their employees during those really critical early days when they were trying to figure that out. And that was a way they were able to create a benefit for people that really connected with them, that really served the need they had. So ask your people what they want, understand what they need. If you hear something in the hiring process, again, just like on the keep track of rejections, keep track of those things you're hearing about because that can be a resource for you when you're going back to your leadership saying, here's, the, here's what we're finding and here's what we're hearing. Here's the gaps we have that people are asking for. We need to invest in this if we want to be more appealing on those levels. Number 14 on this list is break your jobs into critical skills. So this is more of a nuanced one, but follow me here. Hire for those critical skills. Hire for those things that are really specific. And then outsource or automate or hire at a lower level for the less critical skills. I'll give you an example just to, just to kind of paint this picture a little bit. If you're at a doctor's office, that office manager keeps up with time and payroll, uh, training, customer service, and probably a dozen other things, right? Inventory, just keeping track of everything. If you could outsource payroll to a reputable provider, that saves a chunk of time each week for the more important and business critical tasks that that person's doing, like making sure we have the right medical supplies in stock at the time we need them or training the new, the new person who's coming in on our policies and procedures. Think about the roles in your organization. Those critical skills for some of those roles, how can you break the jobs down into smaller pieces? Because it might be, we keep hearing, right? you've heard, I've heard, people want more flexibility. We have a, more people than ever before, based on the evidence we're seeing, that are leaning into freelance and contract type work because they have some control of their time and their, their availability and things like that. If we say, hey, we need these specific skills, let's find those things, whether it's in a current employee, sorry, whether it's an employee that we hire for full-time, part-time, we hire someone as a contractor, as a freelancer, does not matter as a consultant, but trying to hire for those critical skills and then finding other ways to solve for those other things. I'll tell you, one of the, somewhat off topic, but I'll, it'll probably make you smile. One of the biggest kicks in the knee that I had in my entire career, my first HR job I ever had, one of my jobs, one of my duties was to file. And we've all been through there, been that, been there probably, had to file. And that was a big part of my job, just keeping up. We had about 50% turnover a year, so there was a lot of paperwork for this 600, 700-person organization always churning through. When I turned in my notice to leave after a couple of years there, they got the team together and said, okay, let's figure out what Ben's doing so we can divvy those things out. And ultimately, they decided that all the filing that I've been doing about half my time for the last couple of years, they said, we're not even going to do that anymore. We're just going to stick it in the folders, and if we need it, it's there, but we don't need to catalog it and write the reasons and track the – we're not going to do that stuff anymore. It's not really that important. That hurt, <laughs> number one, because I had – for more than a year, one of the reasons I left is I advocated for, I could be doing other things that matter more to us, that have more value. And no, 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 go back and file. Think about that through the context of your organization. There are probably some things that your people are doing, as strange as it sounds, that 
they've always done, but it might not be that important or that necessary to continue. Or this is a thing that we just need to outsource this because this is not part of our critical functions. Or we now have tools we can automate. I'll tell you, we actually looked at hiring someone on the marketing side and about a year and a half ago and set up a lot of these workflows and automations with Zapier. And that has allowed us to stave off the need to hire someone because three or four of those key tasks that I have them do have been automated because the tools hook into the systems we're using for business and it does those steps for us. So I'm able to hold off on that by automating a part of what that job would look like. So look at that. Number 15, interview quickly. If you're hiring managers, if, you're, if your recruiters are getting a candidate in, they screen them and they share that resume and then it takes five days for that hiring manager to come back to you or seven days or 12 days or they never respond back until you ping them again, that's, the, that's a problem, absolutely. One of my good friends, Trent Cotton, he's the head of town acquisition and retention at Bureau of Eritas, a massive organization. One of the things they do is they have WIP limits, work and process. So if they are submitting candidates to hiring managers and they are not responding back to them, once they have a certain number of those in the queue, could be five, could be seven, could be 10, I don't know how many candidates it is. Once they have a certain number of candidates in that queue that's waiting for a response, they send an email to the manager and say, I'm not touching this job again until you come back to it and give me some input. It's probably a little nicer than that, but they're saying, it's the ball's in your court now and I can't do anything else. I think that's a great way to approach that. If you want to learn more about that process, by the way, Trent has a phenomenal book, Recruiting. I'll make sure and get that one into the show notes so you can get the link to that book and check it out. It's an amazing resource. I'm actually going to work with him very soon to put together a course on sprint recruiting because it talks about how to take a more agile approach to this. And they are it allows you to work with hiring managers on a common ground and set priorities and understand what they need from you. Number 16, retain, retain, retain. So I've got a couple, and I told you set uh, 20 in this list probably. A couple of these have been multi-part. This one's going to be multi-part. So we're going to stop on 17, but it's actually more than 20. So number 16 is retain, retain, retain. I just talked about Trent Cotton. One of the things that he looks at as a key recruiting metric isn't time to fill. It's not cost per hire. It's quick quits, QQs, quick quits. If you hire someone and they're gone in three months, that's a problem. The worst thing about recruiting isn't having to fill the job, it's having to fill the job again three months after you filled it the first time. That is a pain. So retaining people is critical. I know this a lot, some of these things happen outside of our bubble as town acquisition leaders, but if you're in HR, right, you wear this hat, you're thinking about this already. If you're in learning, you're thinking about this already. How can we get those other people on the team on board with us? Number one, I'm actually giving a talk later today on this topic because our research shows that for every employee who says, eh, I'm, I'm okay with where I work and I don't really care if they you know, give me some development plans or career paths, I'm okay. For every employee there is that says that, there are two that say, I have left a job in my past, in my career, because they didn't develop, develop me or give me a chance to grow. So for every one that's like, eh, there are two that say, this is critical. So development is really important. On top of that, for those people that left a job, I actually asked them specifically, would you have stayed if you had a development opportunity? Yes or no? 88% of them, basically nine out of 10, said I would have stuck around. 
So development is critical for keeping people there. That doesn't mean you got to move them up to a new job, although that doesn't hurt. I talked about mobility earlier. But it could be we're going to develop a new skill in you. We're going to help you with this thing. We're going to coach you up in an area on, on um, whatever that soft skill might be or whatever that hard skill might be. Or we're going to pour into your development to make sure that you are as sharp as you can be. The second one here on retain is recognition. Make sure people know that, that they're doing good work because it's really easy in the hustle and bustle and the churn to skip over those things. They need to know that, and I know that's not on us unless you're managing a team of recruiters that they need to know, but if you can help see that with your managers, just like the career conversations I talked about earlier, see that with your managers. Do they know that that's a very easy way to remember that? Do they know that, that they're doing good work? Because if they don't know, if they don't hear that, if they're not reinforced by that, if they're not aware of that, as I told you, that creates this fertile ground when someone calls them and says, starts sweet talking to them about another role somewhere else. They're thinking, when's the last time a manager really did tell me that? When's the last time someone made me feel like I was appreciated or like I was where I need to be? Make sure they feel that. <laughs> Zig Ziglar, great motivator. One of his sayings that I've used for years ties in there perfectly. He said, Motivation doesn't last, and neither does bathing. That's why I recommend both daily. So think about that. Motivation, recognition, support doesn't last. We need to do that on a regular basis. Last but not least, I, I talked to a leader last week, leader of an organization on the executive team. She told me that in the last couple of months, she's actually started scheduling one-on-one -on -one time with some of the key, the key people on her team and their organization actually on the, on the recruiter side, and is doing basically a 30-minute kind of coffee chat. Hey, what's going on? What, what can I do for you? Is there anything that you need? You know, what's, what's frustrating you right now? And it gives them access to a leader who can actually do something about some of the problems they're seeing. Sometimes it's just a, man, this stinks, and I just want to tell you about it. But sometimes it's, can you help me with this? And occasionally those, there are answers there. Giving that access is powerful. You might have heard of state interviews in the past where you do an interview with your current employee to ask them what's going on, what's the problem, how can we fix it before they leave. At the exit interview, it's too late. State interviews allow you to find that information and act on it before, and this is an example of that. So retain, retain, retain. Keep your people if you can. You don't want to have to fill that job again. And the last one, I've talked about technology on and off throughout this. There are so many amazing technologies available right now on the hiring side. And if you're not using some, I would encourage you to because the companies that are, the companies that are leveraging that, that are using that, they are going to stand out. They're going to be able to serve and support in different ways that you, you just can't keep up with. So last one here, use video. Not just to distance yourself from people not just to automate parts of the hiring process, but to create connections with people, to try to make them feel like they're heard, to make them feel like they're listened to. We're about to do some brand new research on the candidate side of things. I can't remember if I mentioned that already or not. We're going to do some research on can the candidate side of things and on the, the, the workforce to ask them about what things they want, what they're looking for, how we can serve them as employers, what would make them say no to an offer, what would make them say yes to an offer, what would make them open to an offer from someone else if they're currently employed, all these kind of things. And 
So we're going to gather that data. A few years ago, we gathered some research from candidates. And one of the things we found was they told us they don't mind an assessment. They don't mind video, automated video in the hiring process. They don't mind those things, video interviews, as long as there's a connection to the job they'd be doing. It's easy to use this to set yourself apart. A lot of other companies will have them go through this template process. That's the same for every candidate, whether you're working in the warehouse or you're going to be the accounts payable clerk or you're going to be the, the new security guard. Like Everybody goes through the same process. Use those interviews and those opportunities to connect with someone and give them a chance to show off what they can do. Because we found in that research on the candidate side, candidates said, if I get a chance to show what I can do, to talk about my capabilities, to show my strengths, not just a, what are your greatest weaknesses, what are your greatest strengths, but I get a chance to talk about how that relates to the actual job, that gets me excited about the hiring process. So think about how to weave that into your hiring process. I hope this list has given you some ideas, some things to think about. Is this exhaustive? Absolutely not. There are other things. There are other opportunities. We'll be looking at trying to bring in other talent leaders who are seeing some successes and some innovations to bring their stories together and help share it with you. But this is based on interviews with dozens of leaders, research on candidates, research on learners, thousands of people have been our data set this year that we've been talking to and analyzing and understanding what's happening. So there's so much research and evidence here. I hope this gives you some good insights, some good ideas. And please, as I said, check out the show notes for this episode. You can find that information, lhra.io slash podcast. If it's easier for you, go to onlyhumanshow.com, onlyhumanshow.com. And you can see the podcast links, everything else there for the show. You can get that information. Please, one last thing, one last ask. I've spent a lot of time here sharing ideas with you and trying to give you some insights and things. Please share this episode with someone else. One of the great things about being a talent in an HR is we are in this amazing community. And so many of the things that I know are not things that I found myself. They're things that people shared with me. So please take a moment, send this on to one, two, 10 friends. I don't care how many. If you're in a networking group, share it with them. If you're in a mentoring group, share it with them. Share this with your friends because the rising tide lifts all ships. As if you'll listen to the outro on the episode here in a few minutes, you'll hear that. A rising tide lifts all ships. And that's why I do what I get to do. Thank you so much for the hard work you're doing and talent and HR. Thank you so much. You might not be getting that recognition that I'm telling you to give to others. And if you heard that, you're like, yeah, that'd be nice to get some. I appreciate you. I appreciate what you're doing. I know it's hard. I've been there in, a, in, in better times. I've been there. And so I can only imagine how it feels right now to be struggling against some of the things you're struggling against. But I believe in you. I know you've got a good road ahead of you. Keep up the good work because it's totally worth it. Thank you so much. And I'll catch you next time on We're Only Human. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm honored to have you as a listener. If you enjoyed this episode, please take 10 seconds to rate it at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you know a friend that could benefit from today's conversation, please pass it their way. After all, a rising tide lifts all ships. To see show notes, sponsor information, and our full show archives, visit onlyhumanshow.com.